Good morning, everybody. Everybody having a good start to their week? That should be a resounding yes. How can you not be having a good start to your week? Today's the first day of the week. We're amongst the saints. We're worshiping God. There's no better way to start the week. So I'm going to ask you that question again. You guys having a good start to your week? Yes. Thank you. I didn't want to have to get up and shake it out again like we did a couple weeks ago, you know. Uh, what a great day. It's a great day because not only are we worshiping the Lord, but there's going to be a baptism today. So after the morning service, there'll be a baptism. So uh, stick around for that. You know, if you look on the screen behind me, it says Beatitudes Part 1. And it's probably been a few years since I've done the Beatitudes. It's been a while, right? And I remember uh, maybe even a month or two ago, me, Jim, and Russ were having a great conversation. I think Carol was there, maybe John Collins downstairs at one of our studies. And while I mentioned downstairs was one of our studies, don't forget, the Wednesdays have been moved to Tuesday. So for, the, for those of you that like to come, there's a handful of us that meet. Uh, so 1, to, 1 o'clock to 2 o'clock. Uh, fellowship and coffee, 2 to 2.45 will be the uh, Matthew Bible study that we're doing in the fellowship hall downstairs. So don't forget that'll be uh, moved, that's moved to Tuesday and we'll look forward to getting that started again this upcoming Tuesday. And so uh, comparison. We're going to look at Beatitudes Part 1 with a comparison. You know me, I like to look in the mirror once in a while. Why do you think it's good to look in the mirror once in a while? It's good to look in the mirror once in a while because, well, one, you realize you're getting a little older, but two, you also start to realize what? You realize that, hey, I've been trying to make some changes, but only you can look in the mirror and judge the person looking back at you, if you're honest with yourself, if you've actually made the changes that need to be made, amen? And so, brethren, that's what you guys, you know, the first couple weeks of the year I was talking about before I got sick, I was talking about goal setting, right? We were talking about, uh, you know, faith and uh, uh, having an intentional faith in 2024. Well, what better way to think about an intentional faith in 2024? What better way to look in the mirror and to ask yourself some questions than to look at Matthew chapter 5? Let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 5 here this morning. Because that's where you find the Beatitudes. Jesus starts out the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, right, with the Beatitudes. There's a reason why Jesus starts out the Sermon on the Mount with the Beatitudes. Because shortly after he gets into uh, the Beatitudes, we're going to talk about, not today, but on Wednesday, uh, I'm the next up on the parable teachings for the next couple of Wednesdays, and we're going to be looking at the, the salt of the earth in the lampstand. Well, where does that come? It comes right after the Beatitudes, and Jesus gives it in a logical order for a reason. You know, you think about these Beatitudes. These Beatitudes, they're promises of blessings, right? Promises of blessings which dis are distinctly promised to anybody who desires to be a member of the kingdom. Anybody who desires to be a citizen of the kingdom, a member of the church. Because remember, when it says kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, kingdom of Christ, church, it's talking about all things one and the same. For the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ, the church, the kingdom are all one and the same. And so these beatitudes are the promises of the blessings that, will, uh, that those who are citizens of the kingdom, members of the church, will enjoy if... You're willing to do what Christ asks you to do. And so as we think about the Beatitudes here this morning, in these Beatitudes, Jesus teaches characteristics for the various citizens who make up his kingdom. You can't be a member of the kingdom of Christ, right, the kingdom of God, if you don't have these characteristics. And because you have to understand that as we go down and we look at these principles here this morning, we look at these characteristics, these traits, it's a foundation, 
They're foundational principles for Christian character. And I wonder how many times, who here has read the Sermon on the Mount? Probably, hopefully, most hands should go up. Most of us should have read the Sermon on the Mount. And if not, you might want to get there. Matthew chapter 5, 5 through 7. It's not that long, right? But Jesus is going to start it out, and he's going to start out talking about discipleship. And in discipleship, he's going to talk about these Beatitudes. The very first four Beatitudes are all reflective of inward, right? An inward change that has to take place. You can't even get to outward relationships and outward change until you've made an internal change. Isn't that why Romans chapter 12 that we talk about very often... As we look at verses 1 and 2 of Romans chapter 12, it talks about the changing of the mind, right? The transforming of the mind. You can't have a transformation of life unless you first transform your mind with the Word of God. Amen? And so, brethren, we start with the Beatitudes here this morning. The Beatitudes tell us that with each and every one that you are blessed. With each and every one you are blessed, but it also that word blessed is also synonymous with fortunate. With happy, blessed, fortunate, happy are those who spiritually humble themselves. Blessed, fortunate, and happy are those who are sorrowful, those who mourn, those who are long-suffering, those who are patient. You know, patient and long-suffering, they're similar, but they're different. Because long-suffering is showing patient in spite of the troubles that are caused by others. And so there's a little bit of a difference there. Blessed and fortunate are those who are spiritually hunger, uh, who spiritually hunger and thirst for righteousness, who are merciful and who are uh, pure at heart and peacemakers, those who are persecuted for doing righteousness' sake. It says, blessed, fortunate, happy are those who call on the name of the Lord and make these characteristics their own. So brothers and sisters, we have to really dive in and look at Matthew chapter 5. We have to really start to understand what Jesus is revealing to us here. Because brethren, the world is going to teach something that's contrary to what the word of God says. And so when you think about the Beatitudes, how contrary is it the way of the world versus the way of God? You think about the attitudes of the world, the mindset of the world versus the mindset of somebody who call, who's called to be a disciple of Christ, right? You're going to notice, brethren, there is a vast difference between the two. In Matthew chapter, starting in 5, Jesus reveals a model for how Christians are to live our lives. And in doing so, we will receive what? We're going to receive spiritual prosperity. Now notice I didn't say material prosperity. We're going to receive spiritual prosperity by filling our lives with joy. By filling our lives with satisfaction and God's favor and salvation. Brethren, this is all despite of how the world interprets what the Christian should look like. How the world interprets what Christianity looks like and what the outward condition of a Christian should be. You see, brothers and sisters, because of this false worldly interpretation, oftentimes the Beatitudes are, well, they're misunderstood. They're misunderstood by those of the world because they think it's, it suggests that Christians should live in unfortunate, depressed situation. They should live in unfortunate and depressed situations. That, that, that it's not okay for us to have worldly things and worldly possessions. Brethren, that is actually contrary to what the Bible teaches. The Bible doesn't say, blessed are the poor. The Bible says, blessed are the poor in spirit. That word spirit means attitude when you look at the definition of the word. So blessed are those who are poor, humble in spirit. And we're going to look at that here in a minute. 
But brethren, you have to understand that Jesus goes on to say after the Beatitudes that we're going to look at Wednesday, if you want to come back, Wednesday evening at 7 p.m., we're going to look at the lamp on the lampstand. We're going to look at the salt of the earth and the light that we are to shine. So in other words, brethren, Jesus is telling us, Jesus is teaching us that if we live as servants with humble and right hearts, we will be richly blessed, spiritually speaking, here on earth in all that we do. Think about that. You'll be richly blessed spiritually if you're willing to make the Beatitudes your own characteristics. If you're willing to take these traits and make them your own. Because brethren, I'm here to tell you that you cannot have success as a Christian unless you first and foremost follow these first four Beatitudes. There has to be uh, a realization that you're poor. Realization that you, that you are to mourn. A realization that you are to be gentle. A realization that you are to hunger and thirst with such an intense hunger and thirst for righteousness as if your life depended on it. And we're going to look at that here this morning, brethren. So the, question that, so the question becomes this morning, what does it look like to be richly blessed spiritually? Doesn't it first and foremost kind of begin with forgiveness? Right? When you're washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, you're, you're blessed, spiritually speaking. Because you're forgiven of your sins and you're brought back into relationship with the holy and righteous God. So it begins, right, in the uh, waters of baptism where we receive the forgiveness of our sins. Because we're blessed then with that forgiveness and that Holy Spirit that seals us for the day of redemption. But what about contentments? You think about spiritual blessings in the Lord. Contentment has to be up there on that list. What about peace? Peace in your heart. Peace spiritually speaking as well as emotionally speaking. You have to think about purity of life both inwardly and outwardly. That if you are to be blessed spiritually, you're to have a purity about you. So you see, brothers and sisters, as we dive into this Matthew chapter 5 here in a second, Jesus wants to bless Christians. Jesus wants to bless Christians so that unbelievers are drawn to us and consequently they are led to salvation in Christ Jesus. So you see, brethren, Jesus starts out the Sermon on the Mount with the Beatitudes. And so in Matthew chapter 5, let's read through these first 12 verses. In Matthew chapter 5, we're going to see what it says. When Jesus saw the crowd, he went up on the mountain and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Did you get that? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. For you will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. You will not enter into the church uh, in the way that God would have you to enter unless you are humble and I'm humble in your spirits. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they are the ones who will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then we conclude it with the last two verses, 11 and 12. Blessed are you when people insult you. Blessed are you when people persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Because of me, Jesus says, rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven will be great. Brethren, for in the same way that they persecuted the prophets who came before you, you can expect such persecution. 
Brothers and sisters, you look at these 12 verses. And how many times have you read these verses and you just read it like a novel? You guys have heard me talk about this before. Who here has ever read their Bible like a novel? Early on in your faith, don't you kind of read your book, uh, read the Bible like it's a novel? Meaning what? You just read it, you just zoom right through it. Never really slowing down, never really pausing enough to really reflect on the deeper meaning that Jesus is trying to teach us, right? And so we need to understand, brethren, that when you go through and you read your Bible, never read it for, uh, uh, I don't want to say read it for enjoyment because, you know, we enjoy the scriptures, but you read it for understanding, right? You're reading because you're trying to, 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 to learn something, to try to pull out the spiritual lessons that Jesus is teaching us when he says, the Holy Spirit to guide these men who, who pen the scriptures. And so you read it for understanding. And so when you do so, then you start to look at things a little bit differently. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3, it says, blessed are the poor in spirits. When you get to this verse, brethren, it says poor. Well, poor means what? Poor means you're destitute of something, right? It's a general word, but you're destitute of something. Well, it says poor in spirits. That means that those who are destitute of a proud, haughty, arrogant attitude that much of the world displays in their daily lives. And so to be poor in spirit, brethren, here it means that you're blessed and you'll be fortunate if, those, if you do not have a haughty, arrogant, spiritual attitude. So to be blessed uh, and to be uh, blessed for being poor in the spirit is realizing that we are to humble ourselves. Well, I'm here to tell you that unless you are willing to humble yourself, you're not going to go down into the baptistry. You're not going to give your life over to Christ. Because Jesus says, when you give your life over to me, you no longer live for me. You, live for, you no longer live for yourself. You live for me. Right? And so we set aside our own cares. We set our own desires. And we live for God. You know, I was thinking about, I was watching some football here lately. You know, college football has been a good season, right? The NFL, it's been good. But I was listening to an interview, and uh, me and Kara mentioned this, talked about it yesterday just briefly. And I said how, uh, uh, what was it, Stroud, the, the quarterback for the Houston Texans, right? And I know he's a, he's a Buckeye, but that's okay. We can forgive him. And he had, he had this wristband on, right? And the wristband said, I am second. <laughs> And I loved it when I was watching the interview, and because the, the interviewer said, well, what's that about? You know, because, you know, a lot of times different people have the little rubber bla bracelets on, they have something on it. And he says, I am second. He says, I keep it as a daily reminder to remember that Jesus Christ comes first. That God, my God, Jesus Christ comes first, and that I put myself second. And that when I deal with people in the world, when I deal with other people, when I deal with family, I am second. Because are we not called to live that sacrificial life? Are we not called to put God first? Are we not called to put our families first above ourselves? Are we not called to put uh, the needs of, of the church and the needs of others ahead of our own, right? That's what Jesus did, and we're called to do what? Live like Christ. So he says, I keep it as a daily re reminder that I am second. And I thought about that simple bracelet, just like the, the W, uh, what was it? What would Jesus do? WWJD, right? What would Jesus do? Remember those bracelets back in the day? It's just a daily reminder of a simple, of something that's simple, but really profound. And so you won't go down into the baptistry. You won't dedicate your life to Christ unless you first humble yourself. Blessed, fortunate, happy should be those who are poor in spirit. 
And so, brethren, you look at this information here this morning. The Jews back in Jesus' day, the Jews, they looked upon wealth as being one of the chief elements of prosperity. And when they seen somebody who had wealth, they determined that that's proof that those individuals must have possessed their wealth because God's special favors were with them. They looked at wealth and they looked at God's providence as special favors that must have been upon them in their lives. And Jesus contradicts their beliefs with this very first beatitude. So brethren, if you wish to be a disciple of Christ, you must be poor in spirit, which means you have to have a humble heart, a humble attitude. And then we get to the next one in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 4. And in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 4, it says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. You guys ever heard of, the, uh, of something called a paradox, right? In scripture, this is an impressive paradox. Fortunate are those who grieve. Who here has ever been grieving for something, for some reason, and think how, how blessed I am, right? Typically, you don't think of blessed and fortunate and, and grieving in the same sense. But brethren, that is the exact meaning that Jesus had in mind when we know that he says, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Remember, a paradox is something that is seemingly a contradictory statement. And so you typically don't talk about blessedness and fortunate and grief in the same sentence. Brethren, those who mourn for their own sins and those who mourn for the sins of others are going to be blessed, is what Jesus is telling us. All who enter the kingdom of heaven, all who become a member of the Lord's church, are brought into an experience of mourning. Why is that? Because... If you know anything about baptism, which I'm hoping that we do since most of us here are baptized, you bury the old man of sin, right? Aren't we, aren't we imitating what we see the gospel? And so we're burying the old man of sin. And when we are raised back up out of the water in newness of life, right, you should do what? There should be a mourning. I can't tell you how many times I've baptized somebody and I've witnessed other people baptizing somebody. And the person comes up out of the water and there's tears streaming down their eyes. And they're shaking a little bit. It's different for everybody. But you see that. Why? Because they're mourning. Because there's a joy, but then there's also a mourning. Because you realize the wretchedness of your former manner of life. You realize that you were an enemy of God. You realize that there was a separation between God and you. And now all of a sudden you realize now that separation that gap has been closed through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so, brethren, we see in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 4 that there is a mourning that takes place. And all who enter the kingdom of heaven are brought into an experience of mourning. And that mourning referred to comes from the sympathy that we are to have with God. Because God's will has been terribly neglected by mankind, of which we were also a part of. How often do we neglect the will of God uh, in our lives? How often do we stand contrary to God's teachings and his will in our lives? And that should bring about mourning. And so you see, brethren, not every sort of mourning, though, is really going to receive a blessing. You know, Jesus isn't talking about, you know, the sorrows uh, that come from a disappointed ambition. When, when your ambition, when your dreams and your goals don't come about, that's not the sorrows, that's not the mourning that Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about the tears of a wounded pride. For those have no claim on the blessing that Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking about those who mourned their wretched, uh, their wretched selves and are now going to be comforted by Almighty God when they come into relationship with Him. 
And so the promises, brother, that they shall be, brethren, that they shall be comforted. I think about this next passage. You don't have to turn there. <coughs> Excuse me. This is the only deviation in the entire scripture. Jim actually called me yesterday because he said, Dave, there's only like two slides. He says, did, did something go haywire? Did uh, something not right? Because if you guys know me, there's usually a couple more than two. And so 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 10, the scriptures tell us, For the sorrow that is according to the will of God does what? Produces repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world does what? It produces death. So you see, brethren, you look at the Apostle Paul when he was writing to the people of Corinth. And you see there that according to the will of God, uh, sorrow, according to the will of God, produces repentance. Why? Because you realized your wretchedness. You realized that you lived contrary to, the, uh, uh, to God. You realized that your sins caused a separation. And it should, uh, uh, that sorrow should lead to repentance, which leads to salvation. But it's not something that's similar to the sorrow of the world. You see, there are a lot of people who have sorrow, maybe because they were in an adulterous relationship. They weren't necessarily having sorrow because of the adulterous relationship. They have sorrow because they got caught in an adulterous relationship. You see, brethren, that's not the sorrow. That's the sorrow of the world. That's not the sorrow that God is talking about. And so, brethren, we have to understand that we have to mourn the sin because it was contrary to God's teachings. And then you look at the next one in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 5. Blessed are the meek. Some of your Bibles say meek. Some of them say gentle. It might have a, a different adjective in there. But the primary meaning for meek is mild. It's gentle. And Jesus takes this and he lifts it to, a whole, uh, to another plane, doesn't he? He lifts it to a whole other higher standard. And so many today do not give uh, gentleness the elevated significance that Jesus had to give to it. Because, brethren, when we understand that the terms, the descriptive terms of character are often uh, best understood when you uh, describe them with their opposite. So, for example, the poor in spirit are those who what? The poor in spirit are those who are not proud and haughty and arrogant. The meek are those who are not harsh and callous and cruel. And so, brethren, ask yourself, do you have a gentle spirit? Remember, spirit, attitude go one and the same. Do you have a gentle mindset, a gentle way about yourself? Or do you have a harsh or callous way about yourself? Ask yourself, how do, you, how do you project the love of Christ to the world as you are God's representative with a harsh and callous spirit? You see, brethren, that makes it very difficult to do because they can't see Christ in you. And so as you go through these uh, first 12 verses of Matthew chapter 5, and we call them the Beatitudes, the very next one is the salt of the earth and the lights, right? Nobody lights a lamp and puts it on a lampstand. Jesus is teaching his disciples what the expectation is if you wish to follow me. If you wish to be children of mine, followers of mine, disciples of mine, then brethren, you have to get on board with what the expectation is. The promise for those who are gentle, who are humble, who are meek, is that they shall inherit the earth. Brethren, brethren, I'm here to tell you this morning that selfish people, they'll possess aspects of the earth, but it's the meek, it's the gentle, and it's the humble alone who inherit the real blessings of this earth, as well as the spiritual blessings of the kingdom. And then we get to chapter 5 and verse 6. And this will be the last one that we're going to look at here this morning, because... 
I don't want to rush the, the rest of the list, and so I broke it down into two parts, because if you know anything about the Beatitudes, the first four Beatitudes are a reflection, an inward reflection that you need to have, and then the next four Beatitudes deal with an outward, right? Dealing with outward relationships. So the first four deal with the inward, the next four deal with the outward. And so, brothers and sisters, in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6, it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they shall be satisfied. I want you to think about hunger and thirst. Aren't hunger and thirst two of the, the most well-known experiences that, that human beings deal with? I mean, if you were to talk about all the experiences, experiences that we could deal with in life, hunger and thirst would be the two easiest ones to relate with. Now, here in America, let's just be honest. Let's just be honest. Most of us don't really know what it means to truly hunger, to truly thirst. Because who here this morning didn't wake up and have some form of food in the house? Maybe not what you wanted, but you could have ate something, right? So there was, there was sustenance, right, that was available to you. Who here couldn't turn on the faucet this morning and have a cup of water, right? And so we really don't fully understand uh, what true hunger and thirst really means. But brethren, Jesus says we must desire righteousness with an intense desire, an intense desire that longs to be satisfied. And so as if days had gone by, maybe weeks had gone by, and I haven't had one bite of food that's went in my mouth. Can you imagine how hungry you'd be? Can you imagine how famished you'd be? You'd be willing to probably do almost anything to put something in your mouth, to eat something. And you wouldn't care what it is. You wouldn't say, well, I really don't like mushrooms on my pizza. Because you would be willing to put anything in your mouth because you haven't ate for days or weeks and you'd be starving. Can you imagine Jesus in the wilderness 40 days? You know, we could go 40 days without eating. It's not going to kill us. It ain't going to be pleasant. You're going to be weak. You're going to be starving. But you could go 40 days. And guess when Jesus was attacked by Satan? Guess when Satan came to tempt Jesus? When he was at his weakest. So you see, brethren, I only tell you that Jesus says, I want you to desire, I want you to desire righteousness as a person who's experiencing real and intense hunger. Thirst. If you're in a desert situation, I love watching these survival shows on television, right? I love watching those survival shows where they'll reenact the survival scenario, right? And then they'll tell you how you can, how you can make fire, how you can find food, how you can disinfect water, uh, stream water, and all these different things so you can survive it, right? Can you imagine? You only get to go about three days, right? Maybe four if, you, if, if, if all things are working well for you. Three or four days without water, without something to drink, you're, you're about to die, right? And so your body starts to break down, your organs start to shut down. Can you imagine in that scenario how intense the desire would be for something to drink? All right? Jesus says, I want you to have that type of intensity for righteousness. So you see, brethren, you're poor in spirit, you're mourned your wretchedness, and now you're, you realize that you have to be humble in heart, gentle in spirit, and you now have to have a, a hunger, an intense hunger and desire uh, for righteousness. And so, brothers and sisters, I want us to understand that if you think about life, isn't life really a series of desires? Life is a series of desires. And whether you fulfill them or you're disappointed, it's a series of desires, is it not? And there's going to be disappointments, there's going to be fulfillments. So I want you to ask yourself this morning, what do you desire so intensely that it dictates the course of your life? What do you desire so intently that it dictates the direction of your life? 
You know, last week uh, I appreciated uh, Drew filling in for me. And he talked about Luke chapter 19 and Zacchaeus, right? When you're a tax collector, what do you think most tax collectors desire? Money, right? Wealth, which leads to power, right? That's what they desire. But Zacchaeus, the wee little man, I like how he put it, the wee little man, little man, big changes, he realized that I could desire wealth and honor and power and I could continue down that road, but I, he realized that even with all the power and the wealth, he probably still was lonely. He probably still had an emptiness inside. You know how many rich people, celebrities that you see on TV all the time that have everything that the world says you should have, you got the fancy homes and the cars and the large bank accounts and, and, uh, and the pretty spouses and the good-looking spouses. You should have everything that the world says you should need to be happy. And most of them are turning to what? Drugs. Suicide. Right? And they end up hurting themselves. Why? Because they're really not happy. And Zacchaeus, he realized that as he looked at his life, something was missing. And that something was Jesus. And that something was salvation. That something was contentment. That something was forgiveness. That something was peace spiritually and emotionally. And so he was without the things that Jesus says you need to be to be a disciple of mine. And so Jesus calls him down out of that tree. And he says, today I will be dining at your home. And he's just so, you, you, he's already heard probably teachings. He knew Jesus was enough to get up in the tree in the first place. So he's probably heard about Jesus. He's probably heard or seen the miracles. He's heard the lessons. And he says, I want what he has. And he says, in order to get what he has, i got to do what? i got to give up something. And so he was willing to give up wealth. He was willing to give up what? He was willing to, to, to repay four times those who defrauded him. And so, brethren, I only mention all that to just let us know that salvation was only able to come to his house because he was willing to make an eternal change that was reflected outwardly. The first four Beatitudes reflect change that takes place internally in the mind. And then as you transform the mind and the heart, then the rest follows. And then people see that there's something different about you. And then you have an opportunity to teach them about your Jesus. To teach them about the love of God that God has for his creation. And then if you're willing to say, I am second. If you're willing to wear the wristband and to realize that God is first and I am second. Then brethren, it starts the journey of saying that I will be humble. And that I will mourn my wretchedness. But I'll get, to a place of, I'll get to a place of peace and joy and contentment because now I know who I am in Christ. And I know that no matter what, brethren, that I will never walk alone because I know that Jesus walks side by side with me. And so, brethren, as I close this lesson down, in this week's lesson, what have we learned? We have learned that we are to be a humble in attitude. We have to have a humble spirit and not an arrogant spirit. We've learned that we have to mourn our wretchedness and mourn, and mourn in such a way that we understand what God has done for us. We understand the love of God. We understand how God has, has given his son so that we may have a chance at uh, being brought back into relationship with him, that we have an opportunity to receive forgiveness of sins. We have an opportunity to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and God then adds us to the kingdom. And so, brethren, we realize this morning that we have to be gentle. You can't be harsh. You can't be cruel. You can't be callous with those you deal with and say, I'm a child of God. Let me tell you about my Jesus. 
They're not even going to want to know anything about you, Jesus, because they don't want to know anything about you. Why? Because you're despicable in their eyes. Because you're cruel. You're harsh. You're callous. So you have to have a gentle spirit. Brethren, lastly today, we looked at the idea of having an intense hunger. An intense hunger and thirst as if your life depended upon it. Because in case you haven't realized, if you're outside of Christ, your life depends on it. So you see, brothers and sisters, I said this morning when I first started, I said, let's make a comparison. The comparison is I want you to look in the mirror. I want you to look in the mirror and I want you to ask yourself, who do you see looking back at you? Is it somebody who's humble in spirit? Somebody who's gentle? Somebody who's mourned and is now in the healing process? Or is it somebody who's proud and maybe a little bit haughty or arrogant that's looking back at you? Only you get to decide who's looking back. And once we have possessed, brethren, these attributes, then and only then can we look outside of ourselves. Because these first four Beatitudes, they lay the foundation for who we are to be in Christ and who God would have us to be as his representatives to the world. Brethren, we're gonna, this is part one. We'll jump into part two next week as we look at the other half of the Beatitudes. And this is the foundation, brethren. But maybe you're here this morning and you're hearing this message and you say, I, I wish to be a desire, I, I wish, I desire to be a child of God. Well, brethren, it's not just about an intellectual realization of something. You can't just say, I believe in God and have an intellectual realization because Jesus says exactly what we are to do. In Acts chapter 2, when they said, 3,000 of them that day who were baptized, they, when Peter preached that first sermon, Luce, you remember it, right? They're pricked in the heart. And he said, brothers, what, what must we do? And he said, what? Repent. Repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. Brethren, we're baptized not because of a work that we do to try to please God. We're baptized because that's what God says needs to be done in order to receive the remission of your sins. There's nothing special about this water, but this water is where we contact the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross for the forgiveness of sins for all mankind. And so, brethren, we go down into that baptistry. Who here wants to go down into that baptistry that hasn't done so? Who here wants to be added to the kingdom? Who wants to become a child of God? Who wants to have their sins washed away? You have the opportunity as Lewis stands and sings the song of invitation.